podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I have three parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our Primavera match against Milan on Friday. In part two, we'll review our Femenile team's first match in the group stage of the Coppa Italia. And in part three, we'll preview our midweek Europa League fixture against Legia Warsaw. So let's start with the Primavera, which, like Serie A, had been off during the international break. Milan came into this match second from the bottom of the table, having yet to collect a win. They alternated draws and losses in the opening four rounds of the season, starting with a draw to Sassuolo. They followed that up with a loss to Torino, then a draw to Roma, and finally a loss to Atalanta. That pattern suggested that this match would end in a draw. Meanwhile, Napoli came into this match sitting in ninth position, which is exactly in the middle of the 18-team table. We were tied with the two clubs from Torino on six points, but both of them have a better goal differential. Like Milan, Napoli have alternated results as well, except we've alternated wins and losses. We opened the season with a 2-1 win over Bologna before getting smashed 6-1 by Sampdoria. Then we shocked the Primavera with a 2-1 win over Juventus before dropping points in a 3-1 loss to Pescara. So that pattern suggested that we would beat Milan. Nicolo Frustalupi was still without Gennaro Iaccarino who continues to recover from his torn ACL and Antonio Vergara who continues to recover from a microfracture to his hip. But Frustalupi did get a few key players back for this match. Antonio Trofi was already back in the squad, but the international break allowed him to return to full fitness. And Aziz Toure returned from suspension for the two yellow cards he picked up against Juve. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Milan lined up in a 4-3-3 with Sebastiano De Planche in goal. He's the Italian U19 goalkeeper. Noza Oberettin and Marco Bozizio started at centre-back. Andrea Bozzolan started at left back and Andre Kubis started at right back. Bozzolan is on the Italian U18 squad. Enrico Di Gesù started in the center of the midfield with Giovanni Robotti to his left and Antonio Galla to his right. Andrea Capone started on the left wing. Yunz El Hilali started on the right wing and Leonardo Rossi started up top. Nicolo Frustalupi lined up in his usual 3-4-2-1 with Huberi Dasiak in goal. Daniel Hisai started in the center of the back line with Davide Costanzo to his left and Benedetto Barba to his right. Alessandro Spavone and Kuli Sacco started in the center of the midfield. This was Sacco's first match against his former club. Francesco De Marco played on the left wing and Domenico Di Donna played on the right wing. Antonio Cioffi finally returned to the starting 11 to play alongside Giuseppe D'Agostino as the two trequartisti. And Giuseppe Ambrosino played as the number 9. It's been a long time since we've seen that front three of Trophy, Ambrosino, and D'Agostino back together. So I was very excited to see that. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. What immediately stood out to me early on in the match was how Frustalupi set up his team to protect the center of the midfield. 
the front three dropped and the central midfielder shifted in to completely eliminate the middle of the park. That pushed Milan out wide to the wings where DeMarco and Didona then pressured the ball. Those wingers also got forward to help the attack. Early on, we saw D'Agostino play Didona down the right wing and he played a dangerous ball into the area, but Milan were able to clear it out. Then about midway through the first half, Ambrosino played Didona on the right wing. He made a dashing run into the area before spotting Trophy wide open at the penalty spot, but Trophy didn't make clean contact on the shot and the planche made the easy save. Despite not taking that chance, I thought Trophy had a very strong performance. In the 13th minute, he pressured Oberettin into playing a weak pass back to De Planche and nearly got to the ball, but the keeper just barely got there before Trophy crashed into him. Only a few minutes later, Trophy came close to opening the scoring with an effort from about 25 yards out, but the curling shot just missed the far post. Finally, Trophy opened the scoring in the 61st minute. Colisacco won the ball from Roboti just outside the Napoli area and we immediately countered. That was a great play by Sacco against his former club. With one touch, he won the ball and sprung Ambrosino on the break. Ambrosino picked up the ball just inside the Napoli half, turned, took a few touches, and then played a perfectly weighted through ball to Trophy. It looked like Bozizio tried to push up to catch Trophy offside, but he didn't quite get his timing right, and that allowed Trophy to get clear on goal from about 30 yards out and he took his chance really well. He took two touches running full sprint and calmly rolled his shot under the challenging Deplanche to give Napoli the lead. Trophy ended up playing 79 minutes in his first start since returning from COVID, and like I said, he looked very fit, and he was very, very good. With all of those chances, you might think that we had more of the ball, but that was not really the case. Frustalupi's strategy was clearly to defend and counter, and it worked perfectly. Milan had plenty of the ball, but for most of the match, they created very little in the attack. Capone had a chance early in the first half after some lovely passes to set up the shot, but his effort with his left foot was rather weak, and Idasiak very easily made the save. Milan's best chance of the half came in the 25th minute. El Halali played the ball out wide to Bozzolan. He played an excellent cross into the area, and Rossi did really well to win the header over Costanzo, but the ball finished just over the bar. Capone and Rossi were Milan's two biggest threats in the first half and both got the better of Costanzo. Only a few minutes after that Rossi chance, Capone beat Costanzo 1v1 on the right side of the area and he played a low pass to Rossi in front of the goal, but Hisai made a really important tackle to clear the danger. El Halali was very good as well. In the 36th minute, he made a lovely turn in the area to set up a shot on his right foot. It was the type of play we see Lorenzo Insigne make often where he controls the pass on the bounce with the outside of his right boot and then turns all in one motion. Like Capone earlier in the match, the shot to the near post was rather weak and again Idasiak made the comfortable save. Those were the Milan chances. As I said, Napoli's chances came primarily on the break. At the half hour mark, Ambrosino intercepted a pass by Di Gesù intended for Oberettin. Ambrosino carried towards the area and got the shot off but Bozizio did really well to close him down and blocked the shot at the edge of the area. The best chance of the half for either team came just before the break after some lovely build-up play by the Azzurini. DeMarco played the ball to Trophy on the left side of the midfield. He slipped the ball through to Spavone. Spavone squared to Ambrosino who played the return pass to Spavone in the area. He wrapped his foot around the ball but his shot crashed off the bar and stayed out. So despite the two different approaches, both teams had chances and I thought the first half was rather even. Neither side played particularly well in the opening 15 minutes of the second half. Both sides were somewhat careless with the ball and possession was constantly changing hands. I mentioned the trophy goal earlier. That put pressure on Milan to push forward more. 
with Napoli content to sit back and wait for their moment. That moment came in the 65th minute, only 5 minutes after the trophy goal. Milan centre-back Oberettin picked up the ball at midfield and passed towards substitute Milos Kerkets to his left. Kerkets got caught waiting for the ball to come to him. Meanwhile, D'Agostino pounced to intercept the pass and once again Napoli broke on the counter. With Ambrosino and Trophy sprinting forward to join the attack, D'Agostino played another perfect through ball. Like Trophy, Ambrosino received the pass really well, but he had far less time to get the shot off. He took one touch with the outside of his right boot in between Bozizio and another substitute, Filippo Tolomello, then tucked his shot into the bottom corner to double Napoli's lead. Ambrosino is having a fantastic season. He now has four goals and two assists in five matches so far this season. Frustalupi immediately made two changes after the goal. He replaced Ambrosino with Pasquale Maranzino, which was a like-for-like -like change, so that was to bring on some fresh legs to close out the match. He also replaced D'Agostino with Francesco Gioielli. Gioielli is a defensive midfielder, so clearly Frustalupi's plan was to protect the lead. Meanwhile, Milan's coach Federico Giunti did the opposite. He replaced midfielder Antonio Galla with striker Gabriele Alesi and El Halali with Chaka Traore. Those changes seemed to work well. Both of those players made an immediate impact. In fact, from the time of those changes, which was around the 69th minute, Milan dominated the play. In the 75th minute, Traore went down in the area, but the penalty wasn't given. The ball fell for Alesi, but his shot from a tight angle was stopped by Idasiak. Initially, I thought that was the correct non-call, but upon seeing the replay, I think we may have been a bit fortunate there. It looked to me like Barba did catch Traore before he went down. Only a minute later, Milan came close again. They played a quick through ball into Capone, who turned towards the byline before cutting the ball back into the area. Traore was in an excellent position for the shot and connected well, but Idasek was also well positioned at the near post to make the save. With the pressure mounting, Milan made the game interesting, pulling one back in the 78th minute. Another substitute, Clinton Ciala, played a long ball into the area. Milan were a little bit fortunate as the ball bounced off the back of Hisai and fell for Traore, who scored from close range. Frustalupi immediately turned to his bench again, replacing Trophy with Giovanni Mercurio, so this was Mercurio's first appearance in the Primavera Uno. The only other match he's played for Napoli so far was in the Coppa Italia Primavera. Unfortunately, that change didn't make much of a difference. Milan continued to push forward. In the 88th minute, Kubis played a dangerous ball across the face of the goal, it looked like the ball was going to roll harmlessly out for a goal kick, but Traore made a great play to keep the ball in play. Fortunately, it popped up on Alesi, and before he could get the shot off, Idasek jumped on the ball. That was Milan's final chance of the match. Despite playing 6 minutes of stoppage time, the Azzurini were able to hold on for the victory. With the win, we've now moved up to 3rd in the Primavera table on 9 points. That's 4 points behind Roma and 1 point behind Genoa. We're also tied with Juventus, but because we beat them, we have the head-to-head -head advantage. Remarkably, all three of our wins have come away from home, which of course means that both of our losses were at home at Cercola. Up next, we have a very tough match against Atalanta, who always have one of the best teams in the Primavera because of their Zingonia Academy. They're currently 8th in the table, but don't be fooled, they're only one point behind us. It just so happens that five teams are tied on eight points that will do for part one in part two we'll review our femminile's opening match of the coppa italia
a tutte le abitudini in cui ti sei lasciato andare ai viaggi rimandati ai tuoi colpi di testa all'amore di una notte nel bel mezzo di una festa e dimmi se ci credi che un giorno riusciremo a ritornare liberi ma liberi davvero fino a chi tutto bene fino a chi tutto bene fino a chi tutto bene ti abbiamo fatta di strada fino a chi tutto bene fino a chi tutto bene Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Our women were in action on the weekend as well to kick off the group stage of the Coppa Italia Femminile. I mentioned a couple of episodes ago that the other two teams in our group are Empoli and Fortitudo Mozzacane. I didn't realize this, but Fortitudo Mozzacane was the team's original name before they partnered with the Chievo Verona men's team. They've since rebranded themselves as Chievo Verona women. But for some reason, Google still refers to them as Fortitudo Mozzacane. Kevo Verona women currently compete in the Serie B Femminile and came into this match in fine form. They're tied top of the Serie B Femminile table with four wins and a draw through five matches. Badi are tied with Kevo at the top of the table with the same record. So perhaps I underrated the quality of this group. A team that is top of the Serie B table is probably not that far off in terms of quality compared to a team that's competing for survival. Alessandro Pistolesi's assistant Pasquale Di Leo acknowledged that in his pre-match interview, he said we want to do well and we will not underestimate an opponent who is leading the Serie B. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Kevo manager Giacomo Venturi made only two changes to the squad he fielded against Brescia in the previous round of Serie B. He lined up in what I believe was a 3-5-2 or a 5-3-2 with Serena Boaglio starting in goal, over Francesca Olivieri. The back five consisted of Alessia Pecchini, Stefania Zanoletti, Francesca Salaorni, Alexandro Tunoia, and Diana Mascanzoni. In the midfield, Stefania Dalla Giacoma started over Gaia Bolognini, alongside Virginia Guidoni and Raquel Leperetti. Finally, Valentina Boni and Jelena Marenic played as the dual strikers. Moving on to Napoli, Pistolesi lined up in his usual 5-3-2 formation, at least on paper, with friend of the pod Kelly Cavaro making her first appearance for Napoli in goal. The posted formation showed Paola Di Marino starting in the center of the back line with Hedden Corrado to her left and Sedia Bramson to her right. It had Francesca Imprezzabile as the left wing back and Kaya Ertzen as the right wing back. In actuality, we played a 4-3-3 with Di Marino and Corrado at center back, Abramson at left back and Imprezzabile at right back. Saratui started in the center of the midfield with Eleonora Goldoni to her left and Melanie Kunrath to her right. Evi Popidinova started on the left wing, Kaya Ertzen played on the right wing, and Sole Heims played at striker. So those were the starting lineups, next let's get to the match. I thought the match started off quite well, we were passing the ball around really nicely and we were moving around off the ball to show for the pass. That said, as far as I could recall, we didn't register a single shot on target in the entire first half. In fact, it was Kievo who had all the chances. 
their best chance came about midway through the half. Maranić played the ball to Boni at the top of the box. She took one touch with the outside of her right boot to shaking Prezabile and to set up the shot, then fired a rocket that crashed off the upright and stayed out. From that point on, I would say that Kievo were actually the better side in the half. I think that chance unsettled us just a little bit. Kevo had another chance in the 32nd minute with a dangerous ball into the area, but the weak header was stopped easily by Kevaro. Kevaro made another save only a minute later after Pekini was left wide open on the right side. Kevo appealed for a penalty on the play, but it wasn't given. Other than that, neither side created many chances in the first half. The second half was a bit more eventful. I'm not sure what Pistolesi said during the break, but Napoli came out looking like an entirely different team. That was partly because Pistolesi also made three changes at the half. He replaced Popadinova with Depi Chatsi Nicolaou. Apparently, Popadinova picked up an injury in the first half, and that's already her second injury of the season, so it's been a tough start of the year for her. He also replaced Imprezzabile with Maddalena Porcarelli, which is something we've seen Pistolesi do before to bolster the attack. Imprezzabile was also on a yellow card and actually got away with a tackle in the first half that easily could have been a second yellow, so I'm sure Pistolesi had that on his mind as well. Finally, he replaced Kunrath with Sofia Colombo, which was a like-for-like -like change, but Colombo is a regular starter, so Pistolesi was clearly going for the win. Straight from the kickoff, Sole tried to chip the keeper from about midfield, but her shot missed the target. Shortly after that, Napoli won a free kick just outside of the area on the right side of the box. Saratui took the free kick and went direct for a goal, but Boalio, who was a former Napoli keeper, made the save. In the 49th minute, we were awarded for our positive play to start the half. Again, we won a free kick, this time on the left side of the box close to the corner flag. Napoli used a bit of trickery on this play. Depi stood over the ball as if she was going to cross it into the area, but at the last second played a short pass to Saratui. That improved the angle for the cross, which Tui curled towards the back post. Goldoni was there to flick her header into the back of the goal. That was her second goal in all competitions, so the second half really couldn't have started any better. Unfortunately, that lead did not last very long. Kevo scored the equalizer only 7 minutes later. Kevo's goal started with a free kick in the exact same position as our goal, but they did play across directly into the area. Di Marino had the ball out of the danger area, but it fell for Peretti, who was left completely unmarked at the back post. Cavado came off her line and did brilliantly to get a touch on the shot, but there was a ton of confusion in the area. About five white shirts converged on Peretti, which meant Zanoletti and Salaorni were both left unmarked in front of the goal. So when the ball bounced in that direction, Salaorni had little work to do in front of the wide open goal to equalize for Chievo. Only 4 minutes later, we thought we went back ahead. Even with Zanoletti draped all over her, Sole fired a powerful shot on target from outside the area. Boalio made the save but wasn't able to control the rebound. Porcarelli was quick to react and beat Boalio on the rebound, but the goal was disallowed for offside. The play happened so quickly that it was hard to tell live, and because this match was being broadcast via a live feed on the Kevo Women's Facebook page and YouTube channel, there were no live replays, but when I watched the highlights after the match, I'm not so sure Porcarelli was actually offside. She might have been, but it was very, very close. I have no idea how the linesman could actually see that, and this is exactly why the women's game needs VAR. He could well have been right, but it's just too close to tell in real time. And if he was wrong, then this decision influenced the outcome of the match. Had that goal counted, Napoli would have gone ahead 2-1, 
but instead the score remained tied one apiece. If you want to see what I'm referring to, check out my Twitter page where I posted images immediately before and after the shot was taken by Sole. Anyhow, there's nothing we can do about that other than that brief moment where Kevo equalized, we completely dominated the second half. The problem was that we simply didn't test Boalio enough. We were getting into dangerous areas, we were winning corner kicks and free kicks, but we didn't create any legitimate scoring chances. Depi had an attempt on goal from a direct free kick with about 5 minutes left to play but it was taken from a very tight angle and Boalio made the save. Depi actually played really well off the bench playing in a sort of trequartista role behind Sole. So the match ended 1-1 which I would say was not a satisfactory result. We know we need to win the group to advance to the knockout stage. I think we have to assume that Empoli will beat Chiavo, which means that we will have to beat Empoli to advance, and that's no small order. I'm not sure what the tiebreaker is. If it's head-to-head record, then a win over Empoli would suffice. If the tiebreaker is goal differential, then we'd have to beat Empoli by a greater margin than they beat Chiavo. There was one positive takeaway for me in this match, and that was the play of Solaheims. She had an excellent match. She seemed to be involved in everything positive that we did. She's a big body and a physical presence. It's next to impossible to push her off the ball, but she's also very technical and good with her feet. Because she wasn't getting much service, she often dropped deep to retrieve the ball, and as a result of that, and despite being a number 9, she was one of our best playmakers as well. The problem was that she didn't get much support from Popadinova and Ertzin. Also, it seemed like the plan was to use the wings, but the delivery on our crosses was so poor that when we did attack through the wings, nothing came of it. The women will be off now for two weeks for an international break for World Cup qualifiers, friendlies, and Euro qualifiers. They will return to play an important match against Sampdoria on Halloween Day. Sampdoria are currently in 7th position with 9 points. Meanwhile, four Napoli players have been called up for international duty. Kaya Ertsen will represent Slovenia. Depi will represent Greece. Actually, Ertsen and Depi will play each other on the 26th. Sofia Colombo will play for Italy's U23 team. And Popadinova will represent her home country of Bulgaria. That will do for part two. In part three, we'll preview our Europa League match against Legia Warsaw. Welcome to part 3 of the Forza Napoli podcast. We'll close the pod with a preview of our match on Thursday against Legia Warsaw. This is a really interesting matchup between two clubs that are heading in the opposite direction in their domestic leagues and in the Europa League. What I mean by that is Legia Warsaw are really struggling in the Polish league, the Ekstraklasa, 
but they've played quite well in the Europa League. Legia are currently in 15th place in the Polish League, which is just one place above the relegation zone with a record of three wins and six losses. They've lost three straight matches in a row now to Lech Poznan, Lechiadansk, and Rakow, but they've opened the Europa League with two wins and currently sit atop of Group C. In my preview of the Spartak Moscow match, I mentioned how Spartak completely dominated that match, but Legia scored a late winner. They followed that up with a shocking 1-0 victory over Leicester City. Mahir Emreli scored a brilliant goal in that match. First, he completely outmuscled Daniel Amarty off the ball, then he placed his shot with pinpoint accuracy off the upright and in. Legia went into defend and counter mode after that and easily could have scored one or two more goals with the pace of Larim Kastrati on the break, but their finishing was quite poor. Napoli, as you know, have been exactly the opposite. We're a perfect 8 0 in Serie A, but we've struggled so far in Europe. We needed to come from behind to get a draw against Leicester City. Then, of course, we lost 3 2 to Spartak Moscow, which was a very surprising result. So, coming into match day three, Here's how Group C has shaped up. Legia Warsaw were top of the table, having taken 6 of a possible 6 points. Spartak Moscow were second with 3 points, and we were tied with Leicester at the bottom of the table with only 1 point. Now, I'm recording this on Wednesday, and it just so happens that Leicester have already played their match against Spartak Moscow, and what a match it was. Leicester fell behind 2-0 before Patson Daka scored a poker all on his own. Spartak pulled one back late, but Leicester got the win, so they've moved up to second in the table on four points. That's probably a good result for us, because you still expect Leicester to be at or near the top of the table come the end of the group stage. That means if we win both fixtures against Legia Warsaw, at worst we will be tied with Leicester for top of the table. Spalletti has repeated time and time again that we want to do well in all competitions and that we have the depth in this squad to manage that. That makes me think we're going to field a competitive squad. On the other hand, we have arguably our biggest match of the season coming up this weekend against Roma, so we need to keep players fresh for that match. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Legia have used a variety of formations this season, but in their first two matches of the group stage, they lined up in a 3-5-2, so that's what I expect for this match. Legia have already used all three of their keepers, which makes it difficult to predict who will start in goal, but I will go with Cesare Mista. When they play in a back three, the preferred options appear to be Artur Yedrzejic, Matius Vieteska, and Marek Naraki. I think Bartosz Silt will start in the center of the midfield with Igor Karatin to his left and Andre Martins to his right. We could also see Martins start in the middle with Josue starting over Karatin, but in the 3-5-2, Josue is more likely to play up top with Emreli. Filip Mladenovic seems to be the preferred option at left wing back, and Matthias Johansson seems to be the preferred option at right wing back. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti will line up in his usual 4-2-3-1 formation. I was tempted to say that Spalletti might actually try a three-man backline given some of the squad limitations we have for this match, but ultimately I settled on our usual formation. Kostas Manolas completed the full group training on Tuesday and Wednesday, so he appears to have recovered from the ankle injury he sustained during the international break. That said, I think it's a bit too soon to start him, which is one of the reasons why I toyed with the idea of a three-man back line. Also, as I mentioned, I think Spalletti wants to win this match and position us to advance out of the group stage, so I'm not expecting too much rotation. For those reasons, I think we'll see Kalidou Koulibaly and Amir Rachmani start again at centre-back, but some people like Carlo Alvino do have Manolas starting over Rachmani. 
Another reason I thought about a three-man backline is because we don't have much depth at fullback at the moment. Mario Rui is suspended for this match after being sent off against Spartak Moscow. Kevin Malqui is hurt against Leicester City. We played Malqui at right back and Di Lorenzo at left back, so that is no longer an option. The options we currently have at left back are Juan Jesus, Fauzi Gulam, and Alessandro Zanoli. Gulam has yet to feature since returning from his latest knee injury. He was on the bench for the Fiorentina and Torino matches, but wasn't used. Juan Jesus has played a total of 8 minutes plus stoppage time over his 3 appearances in all competitions. And Zanoli has only made 1 appearance for each of the senior team and the Primavera. He played 4 minutes in the 4-0 win over Udinese in Serie A. And he played 74 minutes in the Primavera's 3-1 loss to Pescara. If I had to guess, I'd say Juan Jesus starts at left back and perhaps Gulam replaces him in the second half. As much as I would like to see Di Lorenzo rest, I simply don't think we can afford to sit him at the moment. He will need to be careful because he picked up a yellow in each of his first two matches in the group stage. That means one more yellow will result in a suspension for yellow card accumulation, though I suppose missing the second leg against Legia Warsaw wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. With Deman Lobotka back in the squad, I think we have a few options in the midfield. Against Spartak, we started Fabiana and Elmes in the double pivot with Zielinski in the 10. Zielinski has been ruled out for this match. He picked up a minor glute injury in training, so he'll be rested for the Roma match at the weekend. I also don't think it makes sense to play Angisa and Fabian. At least one of them should rest for the Roma match as well. Given the intensity with which he plays, I think Angisa will be the player that is rested with Diego Demis starting in his place, and I think we'll see Elif Elmas fill in for Zielinski in the number 10. Lorenzo Insigne came off early against Torino, so I think he will start on the left wing. I'm curious to see if Spalletti makes Chucky Lozano sit this one out for the stunt he pulled in the Torino match, going straight to the locker room after being removed from the game. Gazzetta dello Sport are reporting that Lozano and Politano have mended fences, to be honest, I don't think there were fences that needed mending. Yes, it wasn't a good look, but Spalletti didn't seem too bothered by it, at least not publicly. I think it's 50-50, but I'm actually going to go with Politano to start on the right wing now. I realize most people, including some experts, are expecting Lozano to start, and I'd be perfectly happy with that, but I'll give you my reasons for expecting Politano to start. First, Politano played only an hour against Torino, so he'll still be relatively fresh, and I think he'll be eager to redeem himself after that poor performance. Second, even if Spalletti and Chucky have sorted things out, sitting Lozano will show the rest of the team that there will be consequences for your actions. And third, I think it makes sense to start Lozano against Roma. Matias Vigna has not been very good filling in for the injured Spinazzola, even though he was pretty good against Juventus at the weekend. I think in the previous matches, he was not very good. So I think Lozano, with his pace, would be an absolute nightmare matchup for Vigna. So for those reasons, I think Politano will start this match, and Lozano will start on Sunday. Finally, Spalletti said in his pre-match conference that Victor Osman will play, but he will not start. That means either Dries Mertens or Andrea Petania will start in the number 9. I'm going to go with Mertens, and again, I have a couple of reasons for that. First, first Petania was out for a little bit with an injury, so Mertens might actually be more fit to play in this one than Petania. And second, I'm sure Spalletti is already thinking about how he's going to manage this squad when we lose Osman, Angisa, and Koulibaly during the Africa Cup of Nations. I suspect Mertens will become the focal point during that period and play as a false nine, 
which we know from Spalletti's history is something that he's used before. If that's the case, we need to start giving Mertens more playing time so he can find his form, and these midweek fixtures present the perfect opportunity to do that. That said, Spalletti will also want to maintain Osimhen's form, so I think we'll see Mertens play around 60-70 to 70 minutes, and Osimhen come on to close the match. So those are our starting lineups, let's very quickly review my three keys to the match. My first key to the match is we need to score at least two goals. I was going to say we need to score first and then I remember that we scored in 11 seconds against Spartak Moscow and we still lost that match. Of course that game's a little bit different because we played for about 50 minutes down a man and during that time Spartak scored twice so it's hard to take too much away from that performance. But the simple reason I want us to score twice is because Legia won both of their matches 1-0. They're definitely going to take a defensive minded approach. They already have two wins in the bag, so a draw here away from home would be a massive result for them. My second key to the match is that we need to score early. Again, I expect Legia to play very compact, so the best way to open them up is by scoring a goal. That will force them to get forward more, which will open the game up, and I think once that happens, we're much more likely to score a second or even a third goal. What we don't want to do is leave it late. Even though we've shown that we have the ability to score late winners, as we did against Torino at the weekend, I think the longer it takes for us to score, the more frustrated we will become. And, as we saw in Legia Warsaw's game against Spartak, they have the capacity and the pace to catch you on the break. We cannot afford to lose this match if we want to get out of the group stage, so we simply cannot let that happen. My final key to the match is that we need to stop Mahir Emreli. Not that I watch any Polish football really, but as far as I can tell, he is easily Legia's best striker. And, as we saw in Legia Warsaw's game against Spartak, they have the capacity and the pace to catch you on the break, so we definitely cannot concede a goal to them because if we do, we'd be in big trouble. We cannot afford to lose this match if we want to get out of the group stage, so we simply cannot let them score. My final key to the match is that we need to stop Mahir Emreli. Not that I watch any Polish football really, but as far as I can tell, he is easily Legia's best striker. I did see him play in the Europa League, and as I mentioned earlier, he's strong and he can finish his chances. He leads Legia in goals scored this season. He scored 10 goals in all competitions, 2 in the Extra Classa, 2 in Champions League qualifying, 2 in Europa League qualifying, 1 in the Europa League group stage, 1 in the Fortuna Polish Cup, and 1 in the Super Puchar, which is the Polish Super Cup. The next highest scorers have only 3 goals in all competitions, and 2 of them are center forwards who are not likely to play if Emreli plays. So if we stop Emreli, I think there's a good chance we walk away with a clean sheet. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 3-0 win. I'll give the goals to Dries Mertens, Lorenzo Insigne, and Chucky Lozano. I think we're going to take this match very seriously, at least that's what Koulibaly said in his pre-match conference. I have Insigne scoring a goal because I think he will want to bounce back from the performance he had against Torino where he missed a penalty. We're playing in front of our home crowd and there will be no visiting fans in attendance, so we really will have a 12th man on the team. In case we needed additional motivation, Legia Warsaw's official Twitter account tweeted that they even have better murals in Warsaw than in Napoli, with a picture of a mural with some of their players. This tweet even got the attention of Napolitan artist Jorit on Facebook. 
You may not know who Yorit is, but if you're a Napoli fan, you're definitely familiar with his work. Yorit is the artist who painted the mural of Diego Maradona with the scars under his eyes. Those scars are a trademark of his. He's painted many, many murals around Napoli, so that tweet only adds fuel to the fire. And quite frankly, because of that tweet, even if it was meant to be in good fun, I hope we absolutely embarrass them. I hope the players saw this tweet and are as motivated by it as I am. So that will do for this preview. That will also do for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. I'll be back very soon to review this match and to preview our next one, which is a big Derby del Sole against Jose Mourinho's Roma. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Network.